Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. On this episode of Crown Jewels... Is Harry's signature move a second date in Botswana? How many times did he mention his Todger? We came, we saw, we read, and we're breaking down all of the details from Prince Harry's memoir, Spare. We are back with another episode of Crown Jewels, the elite podcast for the royally obsessed, presented by Betches Media. I'm Lex Nico. And I'm Samantha Bush, and today we have a very special guest. You may know her as the host of Morning Announcements and the At Betches podcast, but we know her as the fellow royally obsessed. Please welcome Sammy Sage. Hello. Thank you for having me. I am like so flattered to be here and also so happy that this podcast exists because... It, it was sort of just something to satisfy my personal needs. Like I really just needed <laughs> there to be like a really good Royals podcast, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. I can back that up from our initial conversation, but I, I also like the sort of like organic development of this podcast where we were kind of talking and then I'm like, wait, I feel like Sam and I have a podcast on text where we just talk about the Royals constantly. Yeah. So why don't we all just engage here? But Sammy, we're... So stoked to have you here because, wow, just wow. The last couple of weeks, we've been fed, as Samantha likes to say. We really have been. And now, like, we've finally been able to take the time to read the book. We've read the headlines. We've cracked the spines on these books. And I'm ready to get into it. For today's Tea and Crumpets, we're talking about all the things from Prince Harry's book, Spare, that we did not get to discuss last week. From the headlines to what was actually in the book, we're so thrilled to have Sammy Sage joining us here for the first half of Tea and Crumpets. We are going to break it all down. Let's get into it. So, question. So, what I understand is that there's a different experience between reading it, which is what I did, I finished it yesterday, and uh, listening to the audiobook. So... From what I understand, Sam and I both read it, and mm-hmm. Lex, you listened to the audiobook. Yes. So can you tell us about the audiobook experience first? Yeah. So I my book was late. It was supposed to arrive on Tuesday. Don't know why I pre-ordered for it to be late, but I was eager to start. So someone was like, oh, well, you get two free credits on Audible like if you sign up, so you should just start listening to the audiobook. So I started listening on Tuesday, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to commit to the audiobook because I think hearing his like inflection and tone provides a different connotation to the memoir in itself. That being said... Oh my gosh. I actually don't know what other people thought about the audiobook. Like, I mean, there's, I, I, I'm kind of like on two sides of the fence here. On one side, there were times where I was like doubling back 30 seconds, 30 seconds, because my like brain was glossing over and I found myself so bored, so mm-hmm. incredibly bored. Mm-hmm. But then on the other side of the fence, I was like, I actually built empathy for Harry in certain portions because it's like, you actually felt his sorrow almost and his mm-hmm. sadness, but 
It was it was a very interesting, albeit really difficult, I will say. I'm not an audiobook person. I like to read. I found it really hard to keep my attention. Were there any specific parts that you had the hardest time listening to? Like where you, your mind was like so, just going other places? My mind was definitely going other places when he would like go on and on and on about like actually quite a bit about like things with like his brother or when we got into like the end of part two um, and part three when like he, you know, when they started having Will's and Kate's wedding and things mm -hmm. like that. And like I retained things, of course, but like I found myself getting pretty bored. And I don't know if that's just like the nature of the fact that at that point I had been listening to this audiobook for like 10 hours. <laughs> it's like a 15 hour audiobook. And I, I ended up putting it on 1.2 because I'm like, Harry, we got to we got to speed up. it up. But what I did really like and what came across was when he spoke about like being in the armed forces and mm -hmm. when he spoke about wanting to serve and fight like you really like for me. And I actually think it would be interesting to talk about what themes came out too, like him wanting to be of service and him wanting to make a contribution and his eagerness to feel like he was accepted in a space and an environment really came through when he talked about the army, for sure. Like he was passionate about the army. I have to say forces. that comes through a lot, even just reading the book. Like that was one of the biggest things I took away from the book. Yes, tell me about reading the book. So reading the book, I felt that like, what you experienced on audio, that's why I didn't listen because I'm not a good listener to something like that for so long. Same. <laughs> like come on, I could never. But <laughs> and you make it like doubly as long because of how many times it was you rewind. Commitment. Yeah, I will say that. But honestly, I don't think that's just your listening. I think that is what the book was like too. Because there's, it was mm. a slog. There was for such a scintillating topic. There mm -hmm. was so much that was just like it seemed that it just didn't need to be in there for both reasons, <laughs> tactical and um, literary. But I also think that he, to your point about the army, I completely agree. I actually think that like service and probably like human connection is Harry's best quality. It comes oh through gosh. that he's like not that intelligent. It comes through that he was raised a little bit like an alien. And that's why <laughs> we now have this tome and he, him not understanding like why it was so unwise to put so many of these things in there. Mm-hmm. But it is clear that he is a very, you know, he is good at sort of like understanding or being with a person, I think, one to one mm -hmm. and like caring about them. But oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like his unique quality, which is great, which definitely comes through in like mm -hmm. all chapters. But so much of this was just like, I, it's both not even interesting, but it's also like a morbid curiosity. You're like, what's going to come next? <laughs> I know. Yeah. He's going to shit his pants at his friend's wedding. Like, I <laughs> why? What yeah. does that achieve? <laughs> You're trying to make a point. Mm -hmm. And like these people around him just, I don't know, like so ill-advised. Obviously, so he doesn't know what he's doing because mm -mm. he was raised as an alien who was surrounded by three bodyguards at all times until he was 20. Like that's insane. Nothing mm -hmm. has ever, he's never lived like a normal person. So he doesn't understand what is like normal and appropriate to share for transparency versus and like narrative reasons versus just like spilling his brain. So whoever was advising him or whatever 
the however this played out, I largely blame those people. Same. I feel a lot of empathy for Harry as a human who has been yeah. like harmed by this institution that's sort of like inhumane. But as a public figure, I'm like, get a better advisor. I don't really feel that bad for him. I yeah. Know. So I was doing a bit of reading after I finally fucking finished the audiobook last mm -hmm. night. And I was reading about the ghostwriter. So his name is J.R. Moringer. He also wrote Andre Agassi's memoir, Open. But there seemed to be this theme. And I think I, I, if I'm remembering it, it's in part one or the beginning of part two, where Harry talks about like his dad loves Shakespeare. He's not super into books. He tried to open Hamlet. And it's like this like figure with his crazy family and da 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 da. And so the writer of the New Yorker article was talking about how the ghostwriter JR almost like made this like a Shakespearean play. Like there's part one, part two, mm -hmm. part three. And the way that it's extremely wordy and lengthy and the detail that they're writing with um, comes across like very Shakespearean. And they also drew parallels between certain like King Lear and Hamlet in like certain things that they um, talked about in this book. And I'm like, from that perspective, I understand, like, understand, quote, unquote, like, why it was so wordy and lengthy. But my God, it did not need to be. <laughs> it also seems very untrue to Harry, who himself said that he hates Shakespeare. So, yes. and I don't, do you think Harry even knew that? Like, to me, that. No. Hell no. To, not to really know Shakespeare in to, hell. to have caught on to that. Yeah, I think they chose, like, a bad ghostwriter. They needed carols. And yeah. can I ask a question? Every in, in the audiobook, there was so much he'd say a sentence, I think. So on mm. and so forth. Yeah. I think. Did that come across in the book? Because that yes. drove yes. me nuts. <laughs> yes. I think that is partly because he doesn't really remember things and the writers mm. or whomever pushed him to convey impressions that he has in his head about his memory, which is already like scientific everyone's memory is unreliable and like he admits mm -hmm. that he couldn't remember many things and I think that they pushed him to remember or include descriptions mm -hmm. that were sort of like vague and and unnecessary because that's how we remember our childhoods like they're only really mm -hmm. interesting to us mm -hmm. yes I thought that that was really interesting too it's like he really wanted to drive that point home that like this was just his recollection of events this might not have been exactly word for word what Prince Charles said when Diana passed or or anything like that. So he kept just kind of in, just, yeah, like you said, just like, I think that this mm -hmm. is how it happened. And I'm like, okay. I, I <laughs> mean, that's the part level of the problem. Detail, right. No, that is part of the problem. And William probably remembers things differently. Charles remembers things differently. Everyone remembers things differently. And I said this last episode is like, everyone comes to the table with their own stuff and they all come from different relatively the same background but all different experiences so like they they remember all of this much differently I think than him mm -hmm. that's why I think it was not a wise choice to recount things in the narrative style that he did which was literally like chapter one I was born like it didn't need to be <laughs> like right. you know like it, I it crested could... my mother's vagina <laughs> okay he literally oh. wrote that about Megan it's having her second baby. He described that. Like you can describe your life mm -hmm. without 
the details and this particular like style of like this happened, then this happened, then this happened that he did. And he could have conveyed like a bigger point while sharing like choice pieces of information that aren't embarrassing and um, weird in some yeah. way. Because they're not going to come across like he wants them to. And this is the theme Lex and I say almost every week is like they one on one. I think they're great. Harry I think and Megan is when they, it right. Yeah. yeah. And then but when it comes to what they share with the public, like it's not it doesn't come off the way that they they think it does because they have to be crazy. They can't help but defend against every slight, correct every story. Yeah. When all that does is just devalue every time they try to correct something. Mm -hmm. And he could have told such an effective story with like one third of what was in this book. Yeah. A thousand percent. And I don't know, maybe again, like we're all sitting here, but I know that the book broke like a Guinness World Record and like. It's doing fantastic, even though it's already on sale in some sh uh, shops and things like that. But, like, I almost would have wanted more, like, deep dives in things like his time in, like, Botswana or, like, when he went back to film the Elephants documentary. Like, those sort of, like, little pockets where we got this, like, okay, this is actually, like, the makeup of who Harry is. Like, sure, yes, we can hear a lot about how your brother and you had sibling rivalry, but, like, Again, maybe it's an audiobook thing. Like it got very repetitive. Mm -hmm. So it well, almost like it did. Well, expired out where it was like, I, I started the listening with like a ton of empathy for you. And by the end, I was just like, Harry, enough already, please. Yeah, there are so many things that I wish that he, like you said, would have kind of gone deeper into rather than just sprinkle these little things like over and over and over again, like mm -hmm. throughout the book. Right. It's sort of like listening to your friend but and all the scenes where they've complained about their life, but it's yes. all together meshed and you're just listening to it like straight through. So you have like middle school complaints and now you have st you still have like last year at my wedding, like you I didn't like what you said to me at my stag party. It's like it, it's but it's all meshed it's together. So true. So yeah. it's so it just comes off across annoying. But that's why I make the that's why I make the distinction between I have empathy for him as a human, but mm -hmm. I yes. don't really feel so badly for him as a public figure. And the number one reason why came later in the book where he mentions that after they were cut off from the royal family when they were in Canada and, and Tyler Perry, whatever, took them in off the streets of Montecito. Because <laughs> Maxine Perry, Tyler Perry's mom, was a fan of Diana. Which, you know what? That I loved. Like, me that's too. Sweet. That was like I a would highlight do that, for me. I would do that for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the kind of shit that would make the book really good and interesting. Mm -hmm. Just like without embarrassing anybody. But okay, I digress. So when they were, he says like, we could have gone into my inheritance from my mom, but we didn't want to do that because we didn't, we saw that as belonging to Archie and like his unborn sibling. And then he's like, and Megan had just found out she was pregnant. It's like, you th you think I'm gonna miss that? You're mm -hmm. sitting on an inheritance, Harry, and you're complaining about money. And you're you're then saying like, oh, we got our 14 and a half million dollar house at a steep discount. It's like, if you really wanna disappear and you really hate the press and you're really sick of them twisting your words and all of this, take, take a minute, 
go live in a little a little house. Not a, not doesn't be that little. It could be huge. Yeah. Yeah. Like it could still be huge. <laughs> They could have taken that money from Diana, which I'm going to guess was more than $10 million, which is plenty. It's royal money. Like, right. it's a lot and it of money. it probably grew because since she died, only, stocks have only appreciated, yeah. mostly. Yeah. Like, right. on the trend. Okay. So, if, unless a moron is investing this money, and they <laughs> haven't been, like, you have enough money to go buy a house or mortgage a house that is, like, reasonable, pay for a year or two of security wait for things to die down and then like take it from there. But like you have the ability to make money and your this inheritance is literally for this. Like that was mm-hmm. the purpose. That was what she probably was thinking. Like right. this is what I gave them an inheritance for. You also mm-hmm. have like uncles who could give you money, her brothers and so, you know, they would have given him money. He's not, it's not like he's never taken a dime from anyone before. And it's like, you could have just gone and been quiet for a little bit. Mm-hmm. You didn't, except you had to like correct the record and tell your story. And like, because you're a prince, everyone gave you those opportunities to do so. Yes. Didn't he speak to that fact with like the Oprah interview? He said two things that stuck out for me and I'm, it's not a direct quote, but he said he did it because he wanted the money, like they needed the money. And then they also did it, he also did it in that way um, because he was like, well, at least the words were coming from my mouth and our mouth and, and not, not behind palace AIDS. store s- yes. sources. Yeah. yeah. So let the words come out of your mouth. Let's when they go low, we go high. Let the words come out of your <laughs> mouth in five years. I hate this whole um now that he has revealed, like in his own words, that he has this inheritance, I'm like, that just blew it's such bullshit. Yeah. If any one lost. person totally like you have enough money and you have places to get it. And if you really wanted this to die down and just to be left alone, like go hide away and you can afford security. He said one person quoted him six million for security. No, like you can find it for less. Or like maybe you don't need three bodyguards. I don't know. Right. I don't, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I also just think like, whatever. We've just been waterboarded with facts and headlines and the book and the documentary that I think we're all just kind of like, what exactly do you want? Yeah. Like, you want the family to apologize. You want them to take you. That will never happen anymore. And now he's saying, I saw a headline this morning where he was like, you know, there are things I could have said that I didn't because they'd be unforgivable. I'm like, I think the entire book is unforgivable, Harry. He yeah. said that he has a whole other it's book. insane. Yeah, please, please don't. If the queen didn't die, he would have kept more things in the book too. Uh, so, for sure. A thousand percent. A thousand for sure. percent. I, like you said, Sammy, I have huge empathy for him as like a human being. I feel like his life was really complicated and he lacked a lot of support from his parents, from mm-hmm. mainly, obviously, his pa, which I... Darling that, boy. <laughs> yeah, it took me a really long time to process, like, that he's calling Prince Charles pa. I don't know why. It, like, really just, like, wouldn't, like, land. <laughs> <laughs> but again, like, I just struggled with him. I struggle with Megan. I mean, it's just, it was tough. And the book... Like you said, it was a slog. It was There it was, was moments slog. where I was like, okay. The, a lot of the, I don't know if this is, you know, how a lot of people felt, but I, the war stuff really went on and on. Like, I feel like I know how to 
like can fly a helicopter. But he see, was I didn't so mind detailed. That. I think reading it, you might have felt differently. Okay. It was. I didn't it was, mind. It that. was just too detailed. The way everything was. It was too detailed. Too detailed. That was the thing because I enjoyed hearing him about. I enjoyed reading. Excuse me, about how he was like, you know, a soldier and how he wanted to be in the army and blah blah blah. I understand that. I appreciate. It. I respect it. But the detail that he went into was so painful. Oh, it was bad. Well, I think that tough. this was sort of the only place where he was allowed to get to earn any amount of self-worth yes. the only place in his life that, that he was, was allowed to earn it and i think for that's why it was so meaningful to him and also it was the only place where he was able to ever best william who, mm-hmm. who like he was higher to, up exactly and he what they sort of allowed him to be higher up because he like could they wouldn't really let william go to war yes i don't I, think william I would go to war you. No, I don't get that impression. I think he only wants to go to war because he doesn't want Harry to go to war better. You know? Yes. Yeah. Just generally, I want to hear your impressions of William because he came across to me as just like a dick. But a then goob. again, if you're raised, say, like, everyone's just like, your sun shines out of your ass. Like, this mm-hmm. is your divine yeah. right. Like, you would become a dick. That's how I felt. So when the queen passed away and everyone was posting videos of Prince Charles yelling at people about pens and saying he's a spoiled brat. I was like, yeah, he is going to be the king of England and was raised to be the king of England for 75 years. Of course, he's going to act like this. Like, So William acting like this, it's a little bit of a shock, but not really. Um, To me, he comes across just like a spoiled older brother who's mm-hmm. You know, like, I'm going to be king. You're not. I don't, you know, I. that's just how he came across to me the entire time. Yeah, like, he's a twerp is really. But, twerp. like, again, they're all twerps in their own regard. Like, you're talking about King Charles and the pen and signing it and nobody taking it. It's like he doesn't know any other life than right. signing something and somebody immediately grabs that pen from him. He doesn't know that he can just put it down and get up on his own. Like, you know, so I just find it so interesting, almost like the formalities of this family and how ingrained it is. Like, you never, like, I'm very curious. And based on the book, I feel like the answer is no, is like your granny passed away. And I don't think you ever hugged each other, which is wild to me. So crazy. That's why the institution and like where my ultimate like empathy for Harry comes through is that like, the institution is fairly inhumane to everyone in it. Just some mm-hmm. people have better positions. Yeah. And but ultimately so true. the relationship with the press is inhumane at its base. Like I understand that people like the monarchy, but if you like if we all had a clean slate and it never existed, it would sound like a sacrifice, like a human sacrifice, sort of. Mm-hmm. If you described the uh dynamic. And it's all just really archaic. Everything is archaic. It has not caught up with 2023, you know, and I think Harry just keeps trying to mold and try to get his family to see that this is archaic while also trying to benefit from this family. It's really a strange like push and pull. Well, also in his generation, it has it has never been as I think terrible to live as a royal yeah. As it is in his generation because of like the press and the 24 hour news cycle. Like the first Queen Elizabeth was not getting chased around by paparazzi. No. Like, she was in charge, you know? Right. She was the queen. Yeah. Like, like it yeah. was a different. Now it's evolved into something different, which mm-hmm. is way more 
inhumane of a living experience for the people who are involved. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Thank you so much to Sammy for joining us. Make sure you're listening to Morning Announcements and the At Betches podcast. Right now, Sam, do you want to keep going with some more royal subjects for our royal subjects from the book's fair? Yes, I'm so excited. Um, I made notes, know. everyone. I'm Guys, so I made proud. Notes. I made notes. I have tabbies. I love it's that. giving Oprah. with your large print. <laughs> Bitch, this book is almost 700 pages. I can't. The back of the book. This is the back. I can read it. <laughs> you can. Lit- it's like what they give you at the eye doctor. And they're like, "Can you read this?" That's how I feel. Oh, man. What were some of your, like, I'm so curious, like, what is something, like, what is your first tea and crumpet? I mean, okay. I I have a few. Right off the top, this is like, we don't need to spend time talking about this, but I'll just kick it off. Okay. I can't believe how much pot Prince Harry is smoking, like, from Eaton to Montecito. Man loves to light up a joint. And you know what? All power to you. But I just found it so fascinating. And again- Maybe this was like audiobook syndrome, but like every time I'm like, you talked about your Todger 15 times. How many times did you talk about lighting up a joint? I'm so curious. I know. And it makes a lot of sense why he moved to California. Yeah. You know, like he's really just a a chill, laid back dude. Such a dude getting his delivery from Medmen. So happy for him. But that was one thing that I found like funny. But one of the main topics that I like really struck out for me was around like all of the girlfriends and relationships Mm. and like how desperate, and I don't say desperate in a negative way. Like I think Harry- He craved love. Craved love to give love and to be loved. Mm -hmm. So intense. It's like Moulin Rouge. Yes. (laughs) I think that's a quote. I think you're right. Mm -hmm. And uh, so with all of the girlies from like Chelsea, to Miss Flo, to Cressida and Carolyn Flack. Oh, may love she rest. Her. And ultimately Megan, like his desire to find the one. I, I actually mm-hmm. quite enjoyed hearing about that, but I also had a laugh because I was like, this man meets a girl and in one second he's flying her out to Botswana. I'm like, is that his fucking move? Like, let me take you on the date of all dates. I mean, that's a move. It's a move. That's a fucking move. Yeah. If I've ever seen one. Uh-huh. You know, I, I got to give it to him. It's it's very suave. It's charming. You feel like if that was happening to me, I would feel like so unique. Yeah. I'd be like, wow, he's taking me to the brush. Like, that's how I would feel. But after reading this book, I'm like, okay. He <laughs> takes every, every girl to Botswana. And I get it. Like, I know that that was a place where he felt like, it was the most private. He could be the most himself. The people there were the ones who knew the real Harry best. But my goodness, like the way that was like your instant move 
And again, to your point, it's that hearing it over and over and over. Like if I were Megan listening to this, I'd be like, what the heck? Like, no, I remember watching me and you. We watched the documentary and we were like, wow, that's yeah. so sweet. He took her to Botswana. He and took now I'm reading the book. I'm like, oh, he to took Botswana. that bitch to Botswana. <laughs> like, that's how you feel. Yeah. Um, Something that really stood out to me was that he said in the book when he was talking about Megan is that she, in a quote, he said, she didn't know and I didn't tell her when it came to the curtsy with the queen. And I just think like that's just an overwhelming like that could kind of be an umbrella statement for their relationship. I feel like he really didn't ever disclose to her how difficult this might be, mm-hmm. how hard this might be what she should do and i gotta tell you i was watching crazy rich asians for like the hundredth time over the weekend and i was kind of sitting there and i was like this guy is doing what harry did to megan he was about to have this girl show up to his mother's house for the engagement party for that huge party and she was going to be in like a frumpy red dress yeah and like it's because he didn't tell her like he wasn't helping her. And I just feel like a lot of this is because I think he kind of wanted to make a statement like, you know, this is I think he kind of wanted to put his family on blast a little bit you and think? kind of highlight and kind of highlight how formal they really are. And I think if he were to tell Megan, oh, this is how they are, X, Y, Z. It, it might have changed how they would react to her because she'd be more prepared. I don't know. I or don't maybe know. it would change how she felt about mm-hmm. moving forward with him. And like, I know, I think he brought up the she didn't know and I didn't tell her line after they went quickly to go meet uh, Wills and Kate and Kate was out with the kids and she mm-hmm. hugged William and he mm-hmm. was kind of taken aback. Um, and yes, I feel like it's very... It's very interesting dynamic. And you're right, the parallels with Crazy Rich Asians. And it's like, in I, I know you're laughing, but I agree with you because it's mm-hmm. like, in his mind, it's like, oh, I found this wonderful person. Like, it doesn't matter if she's in a frumpy red dress or blah, 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 blah. Like, I love like, her no matter what. I love her no matter what. And that's all that matters. But it's like, Harry, you know that's not true. And I know he did do things to help her. He's like, wear your hair down when he met Charles and Camilla. He likes women with hair, their hair down, minimal makeup, so on Mm -hmm. and so forth. But it's just like, oh my God, sir. Like if if it were me, and again, maybe it's the Virgo mindset, I would have been giving you like a breakdown notes to prep for before every single family interaction. I would, you know what they did in the parent trap, how they had like the pictures of the entire family <laughs> on like a poster board. That's what Harry should have been doing. Absolutely. Like Just this is the butler. This is more. my grandpa. This is Prince Andrew. <laughs> this is, pri- gotta keep a lookout for him. <laughs> oh my God. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, that, that was, Interesting. And that, hearing that in the audiobook was also interesting because, again, some things he said really like the way it's not what you said, it's the way that you said it. Mm-hmm. And he was very much like, she didn't know and I didn't tell her. And it's like, <laughs> do you want us to feel sorry for you? Like, I know. you didn't fucking tell her. You didn't Why tell didn't her. Why didn't you tell her? I feel bad for her. Yeah. I Obviously. feel bad for her now. And it, it, I will say in this book, it became and maybe this is an assumption, like more evident to me that he has this deep-seated issue with his family, like that 
he was just looking for a partner in crime oh, to yeah. blow up, you know. And Megan kind of said that I felt in the documentary when she said, you know, he was already on this path and I kind of came along. Mm-hmm. So he wouldn't have liked me if he wasn't if he wasn't already on this path. And that's even more evident in this book yes. is that he had felt like a spare and an outsider his entire life. And, and a I under Yeah, like a scapegoat and that must be such a shitty feeling. Yeah. And then you lose your mom and I don't think people really pr- understood like the level of trauma that he experienced from losing his mom i think everybody thought oh my god he lost a mom like he lost a parent that's horrible like people obviously felt so sorry for him but to read it from his and see how it affected like the trajectory of his life and how he wasn't able to feel anything after that he wasn't able to cry Mm -hmm. you know he was giving cameron diaz in the holiday (laughs) he wasn't he just wasn't able to like get there anymore Mm -hmm. and he wasn't he blocked a lot of things out from his childhood all the memories and that really made me so sad and having to be a 13 year old 12 year old boy and comfort other people as your mom died is so horrible and you know what pisses me off actually is that these headlines are so misleading because they, you know, you of course saw the headlines like, oh, Harry thought his mom was still alive until he was 20 years old. Okay, that is true. But in the context of the entire book, it makes more sense because it's just was the way he had to like preserve himself. Yes. And like his like process. He had to process it like that to like protect himself because he like couldn't wrap his mind around that this really happened and that it was the paparazzi's fault. So, I mean, obviously, I know headlines are always a little misleading, but they really are when it comes to this book. And I think that's the thing. Like, truly, every headline, and I know we talked about this last week when we went through the headlines before we read the book, but, like, Mm -hmm. having the added context was really, like, much more helpful, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, it made it way less salacious than what they even were. Even from, like, the context of him and William fighting, like, that story was way less, oh. not way less salacious, but like, you know, uh, Willie pushed him and like allegedly wanted to keep fighting and Harry like shut him down and like mm-hmm. then they talked, right? Like we don't hear that after part of it. And it just uh, was interesting. And again, even the headline of like Camilla turning his room into like a powder room or whatever, mm-hmm. like he said, it bothered me. I wasn't like quite sure why, but it bothered me. But then like I got over it. Like you don't hear that like second. Right. Um, they never like, follow it up. Yeah. With what he really felt afterwards. And when you when I heard it like that, I was like, you know what? You're right. Like if I my know, we parents, dragged him. Yeah, we dragged him. Filth. But like if my parents changed my room and like my childhood home. Yeah, I would be like annoyed at first. I can like empathize with him, but like I would get over it, too. Mm-hmm. And he did. But we don't get that context. In right. The headline, so, Yeah. You want to talk about your girl, Camilla, or you want to save that for last? (laughs) I don't know. I'm scared. People really don't understand that. Like, when I say that I love Camilla and I'm a bowler, I fully grasp her role in things. Mm -hmm. I understand that. But I also look at everybody's role in things, and none of them were perfect angels, okay? Please. And... 
it's like, take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. This I told Lex, I go, this isn't the BBC. <laughs> this is Betches, you know. This so, is not the BBC, people. This is not the BBC. Um, do you have thoughts about Camilla? I have thoughts about Camilla. Um, I, you know, it was it was difficult to hear that he felt that um, the spin doctor, as he loved to call it, that Camilla and Pa used to kind of repair any like public damage that their relation had um, by throwing him under the bus as a scapegoat with things like drugs or drinking and the woman that he was dating. Yeah, that made me sad. But again, and uh, you know what, like, I think what is interesting with the whole Camilla of it all was that I empathize with him again. It did, like, I I believe him that they definitely used him as a scapegoat. And, like, Mm -hmm. you know, that spin doctor sort of, like, did certain things to, like, make them look better. Totally. That being said, I I don't have divorced parents or I'm, I'm not, you know, have parents that are remarried, but... I don't know if you're ever going to fully embrace like the woman who replaced your mom. No, especially, especially in the way that she passed away in the relationship that you're. Yeah, have. you're never going to accept that. Yeah, so I think it also comes from a place of that, mm-hmm. um, and like they're just never going to have the most solid relationship. And that being said, like I loved, I actually quite enjoyed listening to when Charles and Camilla met Megan because it mm-hmm. seemed like the four of them like got on really Great. well. Like it, I know he wrote that Pa really liked Megan. Like really had they they had a her. really beautiful relationship. Yes. Um so it's just kind of sad how it's all kind of fallen and I think Charles probably feels a little bit put in the middle because he has on one hand he has the heir, you know, and then on the other hand he has the spare. But he also likes Megan and he obviously loves his son, but it's just like different. Like who do you, it like he everyone always has to kind of cater to William. And I know earlier with Sammy, we talked about the details that he went into sometimes yeah. or a little bit like on and on and on. But there were like some moments where I really appreciated the details. Like, like there which, were moments. Which moments. For example, I liked hearing that Diana had a waterbed. Oh, yes. I thought that that was such a fun little tidbit. I'm like, why isn't that a headline? (laughs) I did like that too. And they would have fun playing. They would have fun playing on the waterbed. I was like, that is so funny to me. And I also liked hearing about like his love of Balmoral and the castles and like what they looked like on the inside and like what, what that all felt like. Like I appreciated that level of detail. Um, but yeah, I mean, I really hung my hat on Princess Diana having a waterbed. Yes, I did not need to know that um, when he tried to cure his frostbitten todger with oh. Elizabeth Arden cream, oh. that opening the bottle instantly took him back to his mother. And then he so took exciting. the cream and rubbed it on the tip. Like, I, I I didn't need that. I want to burn that out of my brain. <laughs> no, it's horrible. I've heard the audiobook portion of that because it, of course, was circulating on Twitter. Yeah. And it's it was, just like, God damn it, Harry. It was a like, lot. Like, do you not realize? And how many eyes have got, like, how many people have gotten their eyes on this book? 
And not a single person was like, hmm, maybe we should keep that part out. Redact. And that's the thing. What is the like, conversation it. where it's like, yep, keep that in? Because I get it. Like, I, I get that. Oh, that's the cream your mom wore. And, you know, it, it takes you back and it unlocks a memory. But like, yeah. why? Why did it have to be so such a smooth transition to the application on the Todger in it, one sentence? I know. I really didn't understand that. Like, why? Why? And Elizabeth Arden we'll on your know. dick? Apparently, it's a hack. A frostbitten hack. That's, like, really weird. I wonder Swipe if, like, if, you know, Elizabeth Arden, like, people have been buying it oh, since the book came out. I know. So even with... Uh, talking about like the um, ghostwriter and how he also mm-hmm. wrote Andre Agassi's book. I went on. Um, I love that Amazon. you're such a sporty girl, and like I'm, I'm being dead girl. ass serious. No, I love like, it. And you I was are like, sporty. I'm very sporty. This I is love not a sports. joke. Where you're like, I love sports. It's like <laughs> no. no, like guys, she genuinely does. I was an athlete growing up. We could talk about an that. Athlete. On a later date. Yes, I was a competitive gymnast and a competitive swimmer. We, I'm, I'm, I have a really weird childhood, not as weird as Harry, but we can get into it another day. <laughs> You're fine. I was going to talk about how the covers were the same, but I don't remember and why. And how they both are just like one word. Oh, yeah. Open. Spare. Spare. Open. And the covers are exactly the same. Like, Harry is in that Botswana African sunlight, which like is beautiful and mm-hmm. like Andre Agassi is in this sort of like more darker, you're waiting in the tunnel, ready to step out onto the court. It's yeah. very fascinating um, in the J.R. Moringer cinematic universe. But I, I don't know why I brought that up at all. <laughs> Another, One of those days. <laughs> yeah, No, it feels like a Monday. It does. Doesn't it? For sure, yeah. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's a hard day today. It's a hard day. Um, something that I found interesting that I didn't know before was that people called William Workshy Wills, which Ooh. really bothered him, um, because they felt that he was the one that was like a like he didn't want to do his duties. He didn't want to go on walkabouts. He didn't want to do any of those things. But really, it was Prince Charles who was kind of saying like advising him maybe not to do those things as much and there were a lot of moments in the book where harry has empathy for william oh where he like defends him and like understands the hard position that he's in and i found that interesting too because it's like if you just go off the headlines you just think he's in this book like roasting the fuck out of his brother yeah and he does at certain points for sure but you know, there were definitely tender moments. There were tender moments. And there are moments when he says, like, I love my brother. Like, mm-hmm. and he all he wanted, again, it's that sibling rivalry. And I have an older sister and you go through the phases of your relationship. And like, I have sympathy for Harry because it's like, again, that that theme of acceptance. And like, he just wanted his brother to like him. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, in his sort of like recount of his childhood and growing up, his brother like really wanted nothing to do with him. Mm -hmm. And it just hurt him so much. And it made him feel so alone. Everything from like not wanting to know him at school to, you know, then getting into um, his like wedding and he wasn't actually his best man and whatever. And it's just Mm -hmm. so, it's so interesting. And I think what was also so interesting was you were talking about how like Charles advised and it's like interesting how Charles would advise Will 
not to like get involved and do things. And then we saw like William kind of do that with Harry, like around the wedding. Mm -hmm. He's like, why are you going to go do a walkabout and shake hands? And he's like, well, we did it at your wedding. And he's like basically mm -hmm. telling him like not to do these things. Mm -hmm. And he thinks it's because he's like confused why he's telling him not to. And then he realizes that it's because of the jealousy. Mm -hmm. And so it is interesting to see that sort of like compounded jealousy rolling out across the family. And in Harry's mind, he's kind of like, what are you jealous about? Like nobody even cares about me. But yeah. like people did and people do. So true. Well, Lex, are you ready to make it rain? Oh, yes, of course. Let's get into this week's rant about one of the biggest revelations from Spare that we've been dying to talk about. And I think in terms of one of the biggest revelations, we really want to break down some of these big themes from the book mm -hmm. because there were a lot of themes happening here. And uh, let's make it rain, Sam. So obviously, uh, to me, the biggest theme throughout the book was just his struggle with paranoia and suspicion. You know, there were moments, obviously, where he was really paranoid. He thought, you know, Princess Diana really didn't die. He thought mm -hmm. that she just ran away because she just couldn't handle it. Then stories were being leaked, so he didn't know who to trust. And he was, he begins to suspect people are kind of working behind the scenes. And like that starts at the very beginning of the book. Like yes. it, it's a common thread just constantly throughout. And that's really, I mean, I was going to say something so stupid. Say I was going to be like, well, I'm a Scorpio, so <laughs> I understand because I'm constantly suspicious of everybody. But like he genuinely had reason to think these things and feel mm -hmm. this way. And that is just really devastating and such a horrible way to live. Like oh, not trusting your own dad, your brother, what are their intentions? Your granny. You know, yeah, granny. Yeah, the people who are supposed to like help you communicate mm -hmm. and everything like that. Like, and it's so funny because it's like, if I think about watching a show like Big Brother and you see people like creating alliances and having a good social game mm -hmm. and talking behind other people's backs and stuff like that. And it's like, that is your life kind of. Or like it must have gotten to a point where it's like you feel like you're always looking over your shoulder or worrying like about the politics of truly mm -hmm. living your life. Like this isn't work politics. This isn't a game. Like this is your every single day. It's super understandable to recognize how he, you know, kind of became a psychological mess. And I'm happy that he went to therapy, but he mm -hmm. was getting those panic attacks and he couldn't understand why. And it was also interesting to hear about how a lot of that, like, suspicion and how he almost wanted to, like, become numb to everything around him manifested in him wanting to join the armed forces and actually excelling and being really good because he was like, I'm impervious to pain. And he could push himself really hard and take a lot because he was constantly trying to like numb any feeling, which I think mm -hmm. stemmed from a lot of that paranoia and then obviously the PTSD. Yeah. I mean, his PTSD is really, really severe. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing I don't think people understand unless they read or listen to the audiobook because his therapist said that part of you is trapped in 1997. Yes. Like you, like you have not left that. You are still twelve years old, and you are laying in your bed, and your dad comes in and tells you that your mom has died. Yeah, and doesn't hug you. Yeah, 
And he also, with like uh, Cressida, he, you know, attributed sort of her unlocking a level of emotion that he was like trying to get back. And it was like, oh, I finally, you know, let down a wall. Mm -hmm. And he thought that that was like the only way that he could trigger an emote in that sense. But he was like, that was literally just like tapping the keg, scratching the surface. Well, when you have stuff bottled up for so long Mm -hmm. and you start to unpeel and unpack, especially in therapy, you kind of become an open wound of a person. Like you are like just exposed. You are vulnerable. You were crying. I I mean, I remember when I first started therapy, I was crying all the time. Oh my God, yes. Because I was just sitting there like, Uh, unpacking everything and not even just in therapy, like outside of therapy, everything was like affecting me differently. I was looking at things totally different. And I can't imagine unpacking that level because he's he's not only unpacking his mom and walking behind her casket, which is so unbelievably crazy. I did cry during that part of the book. Yeah. Because just, you know, we've all seen the footage of them and it I couldn't get the footage my, out of my mind. I know. I don't think anyone can. I don't think so anyone young. can. It's so sad. But that brings me to my next theme. Mm-hmm. Is his constant war with the press in a good and a bad sense? Like he recognizes the power of the press and he also recognizes like how much hatred he has for the press. And so there is a part... Yeah, I was in the book. Hang on, let me grab my tab. Yes. I'm very curious about this one. So his hatred begins, I think, with the press, obviously, with the death of his mother. Mm -hmm. But there's also a part in the book where he says, as he's walking, you know, behind The uh, the casket, he says, I reached for my father's hand for comfort, then cursed myself because that gesture set off an explosion of clicks. I'd given them exactly what they wanted. Emotion, drama, pain. That, to me, like, set such a visual in my mind of, like, how fucking traumatizing. You just want your dad to hold you because yeah. your mother has passed away. And has died child. tragically, tragically passed. Mm-hmm. And you hear all those clicks. Like, that is so... I could ne- I could never. No, I know. And I think what's also like, again, in the audiobook, what came through, he, he says it so many times. It's that like, click, 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 mm-hmm. click. And to your Paris point- Paris Hilton like, says that she still hears that. Yeah, the every paranoia, day. the PTSD. It's like that sound of a click must be so incredibly triggering for you. Mm-hmm. And like you said, there's the good and bad to the press. But like for him, that is like the core- of the bad is that sound and it's crazy how you live and he talked about it in like going to the different pubs and leaving and how he would like get in the boot of a car which is Mm -hmm. the trunk for our american friends like to drive away because he was constantly trying to be um antagonized to like you know encourage a response that could get Mm -hmm. them more money like it's so that that part for me, I will never be able to reconcile with the royals or any celebrity and the invasiveness of paparazzi where it's like, think about it's going horrible. about, think about recording this podcast right now. I'm in front of a window. Yes, I'm on a second floor, but there are some paparazzi that would climb the ladder and they'd be standing at this window trying to take my photo. Like horrible. when he talked about Megan, and again, I have no idea if this is like exaggeration or not, but like 
when he talked about them surrounding her home and her like sitting in the kitchen and them constantly ringing the doorbell and like the dogs barking and not understanding why she wasn't answering the door and how her first dog, now the name, I can't remember his name, Guy, um, how her first dog, Guy, was so traumatized that he had to stay with a neighbor when they ultimately moved from the paparazzi. Like, I can't, I cannot wrap my head around that. And I do not understand what that would be like. No, and it's it's so horrible. They surrounded her mom's home, her friends, her dad. Mm-hmm. I mean, these people are vultures. And while I do a you know, love a royal headline or a news bit or something. I do not condone this level of harassment for anybody. I think it's so disgusting. And the people that do this are, are truly vile. Yeah. It's really scary to think about. And again, like from Paris Hilton to Prince Harry, like the fact that it's that, that sound, like it's eerie Mm -hmm. to me. Yeah. It's horrible. But then when I think about his recognition that there's power with the press, the reason I say that is because he obviously did the Oprah interview. Mm -hmm. So he knows how to make good press. And he knows the power that there is with good press. And that he's not going through a quote unquote palace source in the sun like the rest of his family. He's like, I'm going to speak for myself to Oprah. Yeah, like, and I'm not going to go through the royal interview. rota and play that game. Right. So it's like he's he's not playing the royal rota game, but he is he is still participating in in some sort of game. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And he knows it and he's very aware of it. And I am I think like as we've spoken about so many times because every time we think the saga is over, there's some other piece of content these two are putting out, but like mm-hmm. If this is the end, if Spare is the final chapter in the Megxit of it all, where do they go next? What do they do with the press um, to kind of continue to leverage their strength as public figures? Like, I know that they have their show on Netflix now, Live to Lead, that they produced, telling stories of, like, everyone from, like, Ruth Bader Ginsburg to Greta Thornburg. But, like, what is the next step for them And where I am most curious, because with the Live to Lead, it's like they do a little intro thing and then it's Mm -hmm. like those actual stories and it's not them. But like, can these two actually maintain a life out of the spotlight? And I say that only because like, not because they're like, we want it to be private or blah, 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 blah. But like, I I feel this way with a lot of celebrities. It's like, oftentimes we find they go past the point of like overkill, let's use the Kardashians. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you gotta take a minute to make us miss you. Yeah. And I don't know if these two are capable of that. I don't know if people, I think they might be capable of taking a step back. I don't think people will ever miss them. Hmm. Truthfully. I think there's a lot of people that love Meghan and Harry and they'll follow them along on any journey that they go on. Obviously myself included, because Mm -hmm. I'm just like... I can't get enough. But I also think that there's a huge majority of people that just want them to like go away. Yes. Like because there was the early days of we want privacy. We're moving to an island. A lot of things were misconstrued in the press and people just that has not left their minds. Like 
So this idea that they're just doing interviews after interviews after interviews and talking about the book and saying there might be a second book, it's like, you guys need to just shut the fuck up. Yes. Because it's not working right Mm -hmm. now. You got it out. Let it lie. You got to let it go. And I think you said this either last week or the week before. You're like, Harry, you are never going to get what you think you need from your family. So let this be the end of it. And like in your 12 steps, start your journey on acceptance. Mm -hmm. So true. So true, bestie. So true, bestie. It's time for our favorite game of mail or fail. One of these is a real headline from the Daily Mail or a similar publication, and the other has been completely made up by our producers. Will we spot the mail or will we fail? Read them out, Samantha. Let's do this. (laughs) So option one. Spare an invite. Several royal family members have made it clear Harry is not welcome at King Charles's coronation. Option number two. Royal Highness Harry says relationship with William may have been better if they had taken drugs together. Hmm. I mean, I just think because option- of the po- <laughs> I, truthfully, I agree. If that's true, option I agree two? with him. Option yeah, two. I'm going to say option yeah. two. Yeah. Click. Let's see. Oh, boy. <gasps> We're correct. Oh, beautiful. And I agree. I agree. So the Sun reports, the the typical Sun, the Duke of Sussex claimed that after taking the mind-bending drug, ayahuasca, he finally accepted that his mother, Princess Diana, was gone and that she wanted him to be happy. So it is option number two. Harry says relationship with William may have been better if they had taken psychedelic drugs together in the new interview. Um, Give me that Netflix docuseries. I agree. Like... I actually quite agree with Harry, not only because it's like maybe that would. So the whole thing with like ayahuasca, I've never taken it, but I've like listened like Chelsea Handler has talked about it. A lot of people have mm-hmm. talked about their experience. It's like you take it, you lie there. Sometimes you might throw up, like be physically ill, mm-hmm. but then it like opens and accesses this like subconscious of your brain and allows you to – um sort of like experience and almost, you know how he talked about suppressing a lot of his childhood memories and Mm -hmm. things like that, like reopen and re-trigger a lot of those memories and work through them. It's like apparently extremely It opens up like a portal in your mind. And I've heard that people go away on like retreats to do it and they have Mm -hmm. like a guide. Yes. And – it's like really, really eye-opening. I've always wanted to do it, but I'm a little scared. Oh my god, I'm so scared. Oh my god, it's because it's like, what should would we I go? uncover? What would I uncover? I don't want to know what I. Uncover. I don't want to. Like, I'm okay, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good. Um, but I think honestly, like, if William would just fucking just chill mm-hmm. and take the stick out of his ass and do some ayahuasca with Harry, I really think we could get somewhere. I really think we could get somewhere. And I also think it would be interesting if, like, he might have a more lax, you know, opinion on what it means to be the heir, what it means to modernize the monarchy. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe he would actually be like, oh, I don't have to be such a stick-up-the-ass old bro. And yeah. actually, we can, like, be really cool. And I'm still – I don't think it's ever going to happen. But, like, Harry spoke about it in the book. Like, in my heart of hearts, 
I pray every night for the Fab Four to like come back together because I, I just, tell. I thought they could be so powerful. But you know what? I, it's also not in like Charles's best interest for them to be that powerful. And we I know. got a taste of that in the book about how like Megan would outshine him and possibly all the good work that him and Camilla. They all got to put their egos aside. Yeah, but they'll they'll never do they'll that never unless do they that. take psychedelic I, drugs together with him. I know. <laughs> God, oh God, I wish. I really wish. <laughs> so to finish up, let's name our spotted dick for this episode. Who has been a real steamed pudding this week? I'm sorry. I'm going to go a little off the beaten path here and say that my spotted dick for this week is the word Todger. Because last week, mm. it was just like a delightful moniker that I got mm. to learn about and engage with in. But this week, again, after reading about the Elizabeth Arden Diana to application on the Todger roadmap, like uh-huh. I cannot get that out of my head. So I'm so <laughs> sorry. I know that this is a word, <laughs> not a specific person. But it is just the whole concept of the mention 15 times Todger mm-hmm. for me. I support that. Thank you. A hundred percent. Thank you so much. Because it was the fucking worst. It was the Having worst. to hear about that was really, really annoying. Like, Is that just, one of your tabs? Please tell also, me. The Todger? Yeah. The of Elizabeth Arden. Look at these bad boys. I really I will be posting I photos. Like, I, I, I want you to, yeah, please post a photo of that quote so that people, if we had to experience it, they have to as well. <sighs> Who's your spotted dick of the week? So my spotted dick of the week, I love that yours was Todger. Mine is this bitch named Angela. (laughs) She really pissed me off. So for those who haven't read the book, she is the one that really was working Harry and Meghan over the the situation with the crown for her wedding. Mm -hmm. And so they had um, Princess Diana's sisters said, you know, you can wear her tiara. Megan was like, oh, my God, amazing. That's amazing. And then Granny, the queen, said, "Um, actually, let's show you all of my jewels and you can pick one. And they were so excited. They got to go and they got to look at all the gems and the jewels and the tiaras. And they finally pick one. And, you know, they had to kind of work with Megan's like designer for the veil, how it's all Mm going to kind of go together with her hair, et cetera, et cetera. And this bitch, Angela just kept like dodging them afterwards like was making it like impossible for them to get this tiara and i just have to say she is my spotted dick of the week i love that i love that because it's true even and like gran was saying you need to practice you need yes it has to be clipped into your veil and then your hair and blah 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 it's a whole thing and she just was like formal she was ignoring their text can't be done but Yes, mm. love that one. All right. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Crown Jewels. Please be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. We'll have new episodes every single Thursday, so be sure to subscribe now so you don't miss our next episode. Tell all of your royally obsessed friends and follow me at Lex Nico. And you can follow me at Bravo Historian. And until next time, may God save the bench. Batches.